their POs came in with barcodes, right? It couldn't be easier. They just had to scan it to receive it. So part of it was absolutely training. And the other part, we actually did some, I would call it almost overviews, but but helping everybody from the person on the receiving dock through the production floor, through planning and scheduling, through accounts payable, help them understand where they fit in the process and what happened if they dropped their link of the supply chain. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Procurement plays an extremely important role in ensuring that you have the right raw materials at the right place at the right time. They are also responsible for the SNOP planning, which is the hardest to master and misaligned SNOP functions could significantly impact the top and bottom line. And they are often left behind when it comes to their technology needs. They are also an afterthought in the organization in creating sophisticated procurement processes that will have tangible financial results. But what do procurement professionals need to perform their duties? Is ERP enough or do they need more? Where do systems such as P2P, CLM, spend analysis, supplier discovery, supplier information management, e-sourcing, contract management, e-procurement, e-invoicing, supplier management fit in the architecture? And how to design an architecture that allows companies to create process boundaries between these systems and share information while maintaining a single source of truth? In today's episode, we invited cross-functional experts for a LinkedIn Live who brings significant expertise to discuss procurement information architecture. We covered many grounds, including stories related to different systems that procurement function needs and the role of MDM and CLM in the architecture. Finally, we discussed the vendor collaboration required at various stages of the order life cycle starting from the design, procurement, finance, and production. With that, let's get to the conversation. Everyone, welcome to today's show. For today, the topic that we have is going to be related to procurement department. And we are going to be discussing all the systems that the procurement department is going to need. We are going to be mapping these systems with the specific roles that procurement (laughs) department has what are going to be their specific needs if they are going to be using any specialized systems other than erp then we need to discuss any of the architectural issues from the source of authority perspective as well as how to construct this architecture so that systems can talk to each other and the teams can do their job so we are going to start with everybody's intro i am going to start 
with Tom. Sure, Sam. Thanks. Uh, my name is Tom Rodden. I am CIO at Varian Medical Systems. And uh, as CIO here, I have uh, a great deal to do with procurement. We are interested in supporting that function that serves the entire span of the business operations. Uh, but we also have our own selfish interests in IT because we do a lot of procurement ourselves from the hardware uh, to the software in, 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 in all forms of software, subscription and, uh, and regular licensing, as well as services, maintenance, consulting. So we're a, a big user of procurement services and we're a big enabler. So uh, I have lots of opinions and happy to share them today. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. Scott, I'm actually going to move to you next for your introduction, if you don't mind. Sure, and thanks for having me. This is Scott Engelking. Um, I run a company called Grandview Integration. It's a consulting firm. I do specialize a lot around procurement, source to pay, accounts payable, that area. Um, I had a 30-year career in a pharmaceutical company, uh, was an executive. I ran our ERP team, and I worked uh, at different times in strategic sourcing. In um, I ran the procurement team and the accounts payable team. and um, had a long, long background there, and now I help a lot of companies uh, in consulting in this arena. So thanks thanks very much for having me, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Scott. Melissa, can I move to you next for your intro? Sure. Uh, my name is Melissa Drew. I'm currently working with IBM. I've got 27 years of procurement supply chain experience, working a lot within manufacturing and automotive. And I really sit at the intersection between what that procurement supply chain looks like in the future infused with cognitive technologies. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Melissa and Mike. I am super excited to have you. <laughs> uh, that tornado uh, situation is over. It <laughs> is. We have, yeah, we've got sunny skies here where a half an hour ago, it wasn't <laughs> such a pleasant outlook. So thank you, Sam. Uh, appreciate the late uh, and dramatic entrance. Uh, always happy to be here. So my name is Mike Ryan. And what I do is I help B2B manufacturers crush the inventory iceberg and help free up their supply chain and create cash. So happy to be a part of the panel today, Sam. And for today, we are going to crush the procurement department. Thank you so much for, for being here, Mike. All right, guys. So we are going to be starting with the stories. And if you guys are going to have any specific stories, and what I am looking for in these stories is going to be if you want to pick any sort of, you know, manufacturing or product-centered business, uh, and that is going to be uh, the procurement department. So maybe talk about the business a little bit, you know, what kind of business model, what kind of procurement processes they had, and how many different systems they had in the architecture. So, Tom, I am going to start with you. Would you like to share your story related to the procurement, how many different systems, how they spoke to each other? Sure, uh, and I'm not sure it's a story, but I will uh, I will explain the landscape, um, and maybe someone will will have uh, questions about that. So um, specifically at Varian, but this was common. I I also did consulting for about ten years in IT systems um, before uh, joining Varian Medical Systems, and uh, a lot of that was ERP related. So so the ERP backbone was certainly one key fundamental part of that landscape um, and the architecture. Um, so the boundaries of, of an ERP can vary. Um, ERPs are different and, uh, and, and companies like to use them differently. But 
Um, in my experience, typically it was the source of truth for vendor master, for product master, and of course products have specific uh, data elements related to procurement, um, among other yep. things. Um, and so for the product master, typically uh, the ERP was a core. And, um, and then of course it was the transactional system of record for purchase recs, purchase orders, maybe information records of various kinds, uh, su supply agreements. Um, so those transactional uh, and, and supporting records uh, were, were what we typically, and we today even at Varian use our ERP for. But in addition to that, um, we have a contract uh, life cycle, a CLM solution uh, that is where the final versions of contracts are stored and where the interim versions uh, often are also managed. So the redlining process uh, is often executed within the CLM system so that we have an ongoing you know, a history of negotiations in redline. Um, until we get to that final agreement. And uh, so that's that's usually a critical component and it's not something typically that's managed effectively in the ERP. Um, so that's that's a separate piece of the architecture for us. A, uh, a third piece of the architecture uh, that I have seen in some cases at least is the, I'll call it the procurement planning system. Yeah. So in addition to vendor master, material master or product master, uh, and, and basic transacting of business related to uh, procurement activities. There is the actual strategic side uh, and sometimes tactical side of contract or vendor management. Um, and by that, I mean uh, the, the tools or the, the, the system that enables you to uh, manage the critical elements of the contract, renewal dates, maybe key terms and conditions, yep. maybe some basic pricing information. Uh, I have not seen yet that done effectively with the CLM system, what I'm talking about, but the, the whole process of triggering the renewals, uh, the start of negotiations. And, uh, uh, and, and so that, that has at, at Varian been done in a couple of different systems uh, typically, but you know, a SharePoint or something like that, where we've, we've done that sort of a product or, or I should say, um, uh, vendor negotiations, uh, strategy management. Um, and then the last thing that I was thinking about uh, was um, productivity tools. Uh, so um, we work with the procurement team uh, on some forms of automation bots and, and, and such like. So that's, that's you know, and uh, there are a number of different tools out there. Uh, we have one that we've standardized on, um, and that is something that we've used to help with some of the, uh, the data cleanup and data management um, that is uh, an add-on and another piece of that architecture and that landscape. So those are the four big elements. I actually, maybe in closing on this little bit, uh, would add that um, I have come across recently, been, been pinged recently by a, a company that offers what it calls its VRM. Um, okay. and, and I thought that was interesting. I haven't really explored that yet, um, but of course, everybody's familiar with CRM, um, but this is an actual uh, claim uh, for a complete package to manage the vendor, like CRM is often considered to be a pretty complete package to manage uh, the customer. Uh, and so 
I think that's a, that's something relatively new, uh, at least in my experience, and it's something that I want to investigate. It could be another part of the landscape potentially. Okay, amazing. Some very interesting insights there. And by the way, I mean, VRM is uh, slightly newer for me, to be honest. I am familiar with SRM, which is the same thing, Supplier Relationship Management, Vendor Relationship Management. Uh, but they are probably, these terms are used interchangeably. So very interesting. So in this particular case, I am going to have some clarifying questions for you. So the CLM system that, that you had, obviously, this is a slightly more uh, you know simplified architecture. I'm pretty sure other guys are going to have slightly more complex architecture uh, because they might be using multiple systems in their architecture. So in this particular case, obviously, ERP was used as the main source of truth. The CLM component that you had, was this from the same vendor? And that, was this natively integrated? Did you have to integrate it? Can you talk a little bit about the integration aspect of all of these tools? So it was not from the same vendor. Okay. And it was not uh, a natural, you know, there were no uh, pre-packaged APIs to deliver all of the integration. So, so we had to work with the vendors to um, develop uh, that, that integration in the way that we wanted. But we were not doing uh, extensive, deep integration. You know, we wanted to have, uh, for example, within our ERP, uh, the ability with some hyperlinks to actually jump into the CLM system. If someone wanted to take a look at the contract that was behind uh, this vendor's, um, you know, the, 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 the actual contracts that are the basis of our relationship with this vendor, you know, that would be something that we'd want to be able to allow someone to seamlessly move to and view. But they weren't, they weren't integrated in, a, in an extremely deep way. Again, we wanted from a legal point of view in particular and from a uh, a, a negotiating and a history point of view to have that CLM system as a contract system of record, um, but it wasn't really uh, driving the ERP behavior. Yeah, I completely agree. I think CLM integration is going to be slightly on a lighter side. So I don't know if you managed any sort of vendors inside your CLM system. And in fact, from the CLM perspective, I don't know if you're going to have all of the vendors. You are probably going to have a subset of vendors that are really going to be heavy in the contract process. So I don't know if you had all of the vendors in your uh, CLM system. And I don't know if you managed all of the contracts related to your HR, related to your uh, you know customers, as well as your uh, your supplier, because my assumption here is going to be, this is going to be a centralized system where you are managing all of the contracts uh, related to your suppliers, customers, as well as, you know, other contracts that you might have. Yeah, I was just going to say that, Sam, that's right. Yeah, CLM was broader than procurement. It was it was customer, uh, it, it was the, the gamut, right? That was the intent. And, and of course, it, it's sometimes challenging to get all of those contracts in there. Um, there tend to be silos in the organization anywhere you go. Um, so you really have to work at it to make that part of the normal process for all parts of the organization. So I would say, you know, we we had a large majority of the contracts probably in there from a procurement point of view because the procurement team really found it to be important. Uh, sales was a little more challenging. And so they needed more persuasion. And it's probably not as complete. And, and different departments, legal, HR, uh, IT have been pretty heavy users of the CLM as well. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom. So, Scott, I'm actually going to come to you for your story, and I'm pretty sure your story is going to be slightly more complex in terms of the architecture because you are more of the proponent of, uh, you know, a lot more systems inside the P2P 
from the business perspective, because there is a real business value in having, for example, uh, I think you like to talk a lot about P2P system, the P-card system. So you are going yeah. to require a lot more systems than just the ERP. So do you want to share your story? What kind of architecture you had? And how did you sure. manage these sorts of truths? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, building on to what Tom said is that, you know, generally your ERP is the source of truth and yeah. that's where everything's going to reside. So it all kind of flows through there. But I've seen a lot of other source to pay tools added on in addition to, to those mentioned. So like electronic catalogs, for example, um, you know, to store your data, you know, around purchasing. You mentioned, Tom mentioned robotics, and I've definitely seen that as well. Some um, robotics tools kind of built on, and I could talk about, you know, some of the uses that I've seen of robotics in the source to pay area. Um, generally, a procurement data warehouse, um, you know, that's housing all of your spend information, and um, those may be in, and in, in, there sometimes are end to end source to pay tools. Um, but in this arena, you know, no, there's no one tool that's identical and, and people generally have, a, you know, a mishmash of various systems uh, depending on their strategy. I've also seen some tools bolted on for sourcing and auctions. There's I've seen a lot of workflow tools, you know, around around your uh, PO approval, um, invoice approval type of thing. Um, I've seen specific tools around vendor onboarding, and those are, I think, emerging, you know, to make sure that your vendors can manage their data on their own and that everything is, uh, you know, secure from that perspective. On the AP side, um, you know, scanning and OCR are typically built, um, you know, uh, bolted on as well. And then I've seen also some data tools um, added on, you know, to, to keep your vendor master data specifically. And those, um, like Tom said, you know, sometimes those are not just it's not a vendor master data tool. It's it's around customer master, material master as well. So a lot of times, you know, you'll bolt, you'll bolt some tools on for that. So I have seen at the various companies I worked worked with, you know, a big spider web of tools around around source to pay. It's it's usually one of the most technology rich areas in my experience. So I am also going to have a follow up question for you. So you know, one of the complaints that I hear from a lot of people. And let's say, you know, if you are going to have a CIO or the IT guy, uh, you know, for them, they are always going to want to simplify the architecture as much. Because when you are <laughs> going to have multiple systems, you know what? It's a nightmare for IT guys, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. Okay, But from the business perspective, from the user perspective, they all want, you know, the fanciest tools possible. They want to make it as easy as possible. And one of the reasons why they say that, you know what? Two reasons, in fact. I mean, see, two reasons are going to be, number one, ERP is very hard to learn number two is going to be it's very slow so hmm. now in your case when you are building this architecture and you mentioned that you know what i am going to use some sort of mdm tool which is going to maintain the master data and that's going to be sort of the broker for all of the the spider web that you might have you might have your pure tool you might have your erp and everything is is going to your vendor master and that's how you sort of know that okay you have the actual instance of the vendor master you mm -hmm. are not off from your from your architecture. So in this particular case, in my experience, when I have seen the MDM implementation, it slows the heck out of the process. Okay, because and <laughs> because it has to go to every single transaction has to go to MDM and then come back and then make determination. You know what is happening here, right? So in your experience now, even if these guys are going to use these tiny sassy tools, is what I like to call. Okay, because they are very easy to use. They are, you know, they have really beautiful UI. 
They don't have to worry about GL errors as they weren't in case of an ERP. Uh, mm-hmm. It's super easy. But from the slowness perspective, I guess once you actually incorporate your MDM in the architecture, it's going to be a nightmare overall uh, in terms of the user experience overall from the from the adoption as well. Have you seen something similar in your experience? I mean, I don't, I don't know that I've seen um, that type of nightmare scenario. Um, certainly, I've seen tools implemented, and then the, and then all of a sudden, the cycle time slows down because there's handoffs or there's systems that aren't talking together properly. So I think it's it's very important to have end-to-end cycle time metrics, and you know, you're going to really um, upset your users if it takes you know a month to onboard a vendor or something like that. You know, so you really have to get your and, and, and one thing I tell everybody is don't just implement a tool, document your process first. Let's understand the whole process. Let's get it documented into swim lanes, get it down on paper. And then if you do implement a tool, you, knew, you do need to think about who's interfacing with that tool and how and what are the cycle times? What's the turnaround time going to be? You know, and, and you, need, you need to set some, some tight metrics around that. And my experience is that you can, you know, even with a complex, uh, you know, web of tools, as long as you've got good interfaces and good SLAs and good good metrics, you know, you can actually, you know, have some pretty good cycle time. So I guess I haven't seen that. I, I, I certainly have come across companies that had really, really slow uh, cycle, but I think there's generally a way to improve it and work on it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not going to be just the issue of being slow. I think there are going to be design issues overall. I mean, you are never going to have mm-hmm. like, you know, seamless experience when the systems are going to talk to each other. There are yeah. always going to be exceptions. There are going to be reconciliation issues um, when you are going to have multiple systems. So that typically creates a lot more problems than having yeah. the advantage of having multiple systems. Yeah. Um, and that's where I've seen some, you know, I mean, talking about robotics, I've seen some of the robotics tools be used to shorten that cycle time and to have your your robotic process working overnight or things are happening in batch. You know, so there's ways to design your process so that they have the good good turnaround. And I think you want to put your vendor data in the hands of your vendors to the greatest extent you can. So anyway, I think there's there's ways. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Scott. So I'm actually going to move to Melissa. Melissa, what have you seen in your experience in terms of the architecture? Yeah, so this was the good news of, of going after Tom and after Scott, because I got to really think about it. I, I looked at it from uh, specifically a, a client of mine in cosmetics. They actually manufacture and create their cosmetics. And in walking through that process, I came up with 16, 17 different systems. It's the ERP, in some cases, multiple ERP instances, and not the same ERP, but all the different ERP systems, PLM system, a procurement system. And if I'm lucky, it's one procurement system. If I'm unlucky, it could be one procurement company for like sourcing and contracts and another procurement company for invoicing and procurement. And there's a supplier portal associated with that. Then you've got the finance systems. Uh, Sometimes there's a separate finance systems for specific nuances. Quality issue management, oftentimes that's a completely separate system because it can't be lumped into procurement. Engineering specifications, because again, we're creating a lot of our products and there's a separate supplier portal for that. Risk management systems, supply chain systems, performance and metric systems, which have other supplier portals associated with that. Middleware, Sterling, MuleSoft, some type of middleware that transforms the data. As you mentioned, MDM, MDG, some type of of, um, correlation there. Scott, you mentioned OCR, legal. There's also the taxware systems that I'm integrating with. And then if I'm lucky, I have some sort of data lake or data warehouse. 
And that, that got us to about 16, 17 different systems there. Yeah. So very, very, very interesting Way too many. architecture. Yeah, Way too I know. Many. And, and that's where the real oh complexity is. <laughs> and I am going to touch on some of the points there. So for example, let's say if you yeah. are using multiple ERP systems, sometimes that could be okay. Let's say if they are not going to be operationally integrated, they might be simply financially integrated. Financial integration is easy, guys. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not as difficult as when you are trying to integrate operationally. And mm -hmm. in most cases, even if people might claim, you know, they have a real multi-entity architecture <laughs> or uh, they have real integration across their business units, you know, they are super yeah. fancy. But in my experience, I have not really seen real integration of systems where they are going to have the contract that can be done across the entities or across the sites. You are doing, let's say, the bank reconciliation across the sites. We have not seen, at least in my experience, I have not seen even with the bigger organization. So if you have multiple ERP systems in the architecture, mm -hmm. that might be okay. But now you have multiple systems that are storing your vendor data. And that's mm -hmm. where the problem is. Many of yes. have your operational data sitting in multiple systems, reconciling yes. that unless you have MDM. If you have MDM, the challenge is it's going to slow the process, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I just got off the... So I've been working on something for the last three weeks with a, a client, a manufacturing client, and they have multiple ER systems, ERPs that represent different business units of their, of their company. And one of their companies decided that they were going to do this automated synchronization between their cloud procurement system, their MDG, and their ERP. And now the other business unit wants to come in but there's limitations with this cloud software that they can only do one integration. So now we're having to come up with these multiple alternative workarounds and options to either, can we do a, will everybody like it and play nice and do a central MDG, which would pull the data vendor data in and split it out across multiple ERPs. Can I do a workaround where I've got to do custom APIs that pull it into a middleware and then push it into this second business unit's ERP system. We're coming up with just, workarounds after workarounds because of the limitations of these systems when it comes to exactly what you've said, Sam, talking and, and con compiling their vendors. And then to make it even more worse, the process for suppliers is different for direct suppliers than it is for indirect suppliers. So let's add that layer on top of there. So let's say, what would you do? So obviously, you know, users are going to demand as many systems as possible in the architecture. And I don't know if you are going to have as much influence as Tom. Seems like he has been able to have real influence on his company that nobody's buying any other systems. You know, the only thing you are going to have is ERP, which is very rare because users are sort of, you know, pulling mm -hmm. in different direction. They have their own budget. Sometimes they might buy a system. And then after six months, you are going to know that, you know, there was a system that, that these guys were using. And now you have to figure out how to integrate that. There is. Take everything you know today and completely push it out the window and let it just crash and fall. That, that's that's step one. So what we've been doing for the last five years is we've been either trying to pull data together because they've all been in silos and we think we need to come together. And that's a huge harmonization and just a huge data effort and cleaning effort. Then we shifted away and said, well, no, let's do a data lake or data warehouse or let's do a combined lake house is the new term. But again, that's a lot of custom integrations with systems that never used to talk to each other. So the the new way and and. and just still getting there on the trend is push all that aside, let the system stay where they are, and let's build this data fabric. So this data fabric sits on top of all of your systems. It pulls it together. You've got three layers, this, this 
layer that, that uh, connects all the systems together. The next layer is where all the queries are together. And the next layer is where you have the users together. It's a similar concept to, say, a data lake, but it works very, it's, they call it a fabric because it's much more flexible and allows the, the systems to be added on as many as you need as your companies acquire or as they, they spin off without having to completely redo all these manual integrations that you built. So that's, that's the trend that we're heading into. Yeah, so I am actually going to move to, uh, you know, Mike, but I'm, I'm going to have just one comment. I mean, you know, people talk about data lake, you know, the analytics layer. For me, personally, to be honest, I am going to be okay if my analytics is going to be a little off. But if I am not able to process my sales order, if I'm not able to process my PO, if I'm not able to cut invoice, that's a real problem. And that's where the integration needs to happen there. You know, these systems need to be really connected as part of the operational core analytics. Sure, there might be a little bit of problem we can resolve. We might have some time. But you know, if your operations are going to be off, then, then it's a real problem. So, Mike, I'm actually going to move to you for your story. How many systems can you beat, Melissa? Uh, are you going to sit somewhere in the middle between Tom and Melissa? No, I, I, I'm definitely not going to break the record uh, in terms of number <laughs> of systems and number of architecture. The bar has been set far too high. Uh, you know, a lot of the work that I do, I'll say the architecture is functional. And where the businesses stumble really is around the processes that support the systems. So uh, work with a client, interestingly enough, uh, they're also cosmetics and their challenge, the, the, the problem I was brought up to solve was the CEO says, my inventory is always wrong. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> can you give me some color? Yeah. Click, clickety clack. He flips his computer around. He says, read this email. So, okay. Right, it says, Peter, you suck, period. We gave you a purchase order 60 days ago and you're late, right? If you keep this up, we're going to quit ordering. And he says, I want to stop getting emails like this. Okay, that's fair. So as I started to, to work with the business, you know, they use Microsoft Dynamics, which isn't, it's, it can be complicated, but in their instance, it was relatively straightforward and started looking at, okay, do they have the right data? Is the right information getting in the system? And what we found was when the information was getting in the system, the system was working as it should, right? So the architecture was holding up. They were running into problems with their processes. So one of the biggest stumbling blocks, and this is kind of one of those like facepalm moments, is the person doing the receiving was not receiving the POs into their system. So the system never knew that the inventory arrived. Right. And then they they knew that that, that this chemical, that it, it was hot and they got it out to the floor so they could mix it and they could use it. And then they never completed their work orders. So they'd run into a situation where they'd go to get a raw material off the shelf. System says, oh, you've got 1073 kilograms. You're fine. And you go to the shelf and you shake the drum and it's empty. And insult to injury is because that PO was never received. Accounts payable never received the trigger to pay the vendor. So now it's calling up the vendor to say, hey, I need you to hotshot a drum for me. And they're saying, well, um, tough cookies because you still haven't paid us for the last one. So now it's working with accounts payable and getting sign off from the CFO to do a wire transfer so they could pay the vendor so they can ship another drum. Right. So in this case, the system worked fine. 
right? It wasn't a systems issue. It wasn't an architecture issue. It was the the people and lack of process that didn't use the system. So a lot of, you know, a lot of the problems that I see and I deal with, I think relative to the rest of the panel are kind of a little bit, uh, you know, maybe lower level or, or a different scope. It's, uh, you know, it's figuring out you know, is the system you have in place functional uh, and are you providing the right information to feed the system to create the outputs that are desired? So that's that's my pseudo architecture story. Okay, amazing. So I'm actually going to have a clarifying question for you as well. So in this particular instance, did, I don't know if you solved the problem or did, uh, and, and maybe you want to talk about the solution. So sure. how yeah. can you create the solution? You know, I don't know if there's going to be some sort of process control that you might be able to enable so that you don't have to train people or is this going to be handled only by training and literally telling people that you have to do this or we are going to be in trouble well well sam and that's a great question so number one yes solve the problem number two part of it was training and part of it quite frankly i mean their po's came in with barcodes right it couldn't be easier they just had to scan it to receive it so part of it was absolutely training and the other part, really, I mean, we actually did some, I would call it almost overviews, but but helping everybody from the person on the receiving dock, through the production floor, through planning and scheduling, through accounts payable, help them understand where they fit in the process and what happened if they dropped their link of the supply chain. So So part of it was absolutely tactical. Hey, this is what you need to do to do your job. And then part of it was broader to help everybody understand where they fit in the process and what their role in the process was, you know, and, and helping them understand, right? Hey, if you drop the ball, if you fumble, if you don't connect the dots, everything's going to stop. And and the insult is, you know, it may not stop today. It's going to stop a week from today. And then everybody's going to be scratching their head, running around trying to figure out where the problem actually started. Yeah, we fixed it. Okay, we amazing. Thank it. you Thank you so much, Mike, for that. So, Tom, I'm actually going to come back to you. And one of the things that we are going to be discussing uh, now is going to be vendor collaboration. And vendor collaboration, you know, typically is extremely difficult in a lot of different industries. And my understanding is going to be probably it would be difficult for you as well uh, because you were in the medical device industry. So when we talk about industries such as automotive, you know, electronics, medical device, this is where you really need to do the vendor collaboration. Now, there are different flavors of vendor collaboration, okay? So one vendor collaboration is going to be, uh, you know, you are going to be doing the vendor collaboration in the your R&D phase where you have the PLM and PLM is going to have all the vendors and you need to collaborate with them even though you are not actually moving to the production floor just yet, but you need to collaborate with them maybe you are experimenting something, uh, you know, so you need to send the bombs to your vendors. They need to respond if the design is going to work or not. So PLM typically maintain a, a lot of, um, you know, vendor information. Now, you know, you have some other tools in the market. Uh, for example, let's say if you talk about PO collaboration or AP collaboration, and what they are doing is anytime you're going to have changes in the PO, the vendors are actually going to sit right in the system. So they are going to get the back access in the same system so that you can collaborate with them in the real time, then going outside of the system that's sending the email, then getting the email back, and then fixing your PO. So PO or the, the AP team or the procurement team 
really likes this aspect of vendor collaboration. So these two or three different aspects when we think of vendor collaboration, I don't know if you had in your industry, if you had, how did you manage it? Or how would you manage, let's say, you know, if you are in these industries? Well, you opened this uh, this segment today, Sam, asking for stories. And I didn't give you a story initially. I just described okay. the landscape. Okay. Um, uh, and what you're triggering for me now is a little bit of a story, uh, but I'll just quickly mention this, that um, from a collaboration point of view, in my experience, um, it's important to ensure that the vendors with whom you collaborate and to whom you provide some access to your systems do not have access that could could undermine your procurement process uh, and, and pose a lot of risk. So I saw in my early career uh, many attempts, well, several attempts, let's say, several attempts of, of companies to provide access to vendors to the ERP system. And they'd say, well, then we can provide them with you know, insight into the bombs. We can provide them uh, with visibility uh, in many different forms, you know, the POs that we have with them and what our view of them is, the status they could see, you know, what, what, when we book things in deliveries, whether they achieved on time delivery, you know, there are, there are all kinds of advantages of giving them some limited access. But what we found was that it was incredibly difficult. If, if you were persistent and intelligent and maybe even devious, you would find ways of seeing the pricing maybe of other vendors against whom you compete and seeing information that is in the ERP that you absolutely would not want those vendors to see. Um, and, and so I have gradually become uh, a person who believes that you really need to uh, not bring them into your ERP. And you do need to have these other supplier management systems, portals that are maybe fed with a limited amount of information from your ERP and that are more designed for that kind of very granular uh, access control um, so that the vendors only really see and there's absolutely no chance they'll see anything but what is appropriate for them. So, uh, so so that's kind of a, a little bit of a story that, yeah, we had some issues in, in my past, mostly in the in the consulting days when we were implementing ERPs. And that was something that the clients wanted. They wanted their vendors to have access. And it turned out to be uh, problematic. So I, I, I have worked uh, for the last 14 years at Varian and Varian is relatively vertically integrated. So um, the degree of criticality uh, yeah. for various businesses, less than probably a lot of others when it comes to vendor collaboration. However, um, we do have a supplier portal. We do use um, that as a vehicle to provide information like CAD uh, drawings or simplified versions of CAD drawings um, or sometimes the, the full-blown information uh, to provide access to that for some vendors. Obviously, for them to see what demand is um, and uh, be able to, in some cases, respond to that, even without us placing the orders, they see the demand and they can actually uh, put in their production plans or their delivery plans for us. 
So there's there's uh, a, a, certainly a critical piece to me that is the, the design of your supplier portal and how you want to interact and collaborate there. We have actually gone so far at Varian as to, um, for example, uh, have a, a number of uh, suppliers who, or I should say service providers, really subcontractors who take components uh, from Varian and assemble the finished products to have some degree of local content that can then sell more effectively into markets where that's a critical requirement, um, a higher percentage of, of local content. So at least the labor and some of the materials are, are locally sourced. And uh, in order to ensure that those suppliers, those partners uh, actually followed our manufacturing processes, we provided a a link into our MES system, as an example. So we modeled a complete production line in MES for those uh, those service providers, those partners, um, and so that that was a, a, a you know another level of collaboration with with vendors or partners. So those are a couple of thoughts that were running through my mind as you were posing the question, Sam, um, and I'm sure other people have other interesting stories as well, but, you know, and we've of course got the more conventional types of collaboration through the, through the supplier portal where we're simply uh, asking for people to provide us with uh, details on their products um, so that we can place orders against them. So I do have some follow-up questions there and I probably would need some more details there. So you mentioned that you have the supplier collaboration portal. I don't know if it was out of the box as part of ERP. Did you custom build it? Did you buy it you know, off the shelf uh, from uh, another vendor? And the MES example is really interesting uh, because you are sort of you know, uh, providing the backdoor entry in your MES. So I don't know how you reconcile your vendor between your MES system as well as in your the supplier portal. I don't know if they were connected. So can you uh, paint some more colors there? Sure. I mean, on the NES story um, with that that service provider, that uh, partner, we really set up effectively a separate instance of the MES, a, a copy of what we were using in Switzerland for this supplier in Russia. Um, so we did not really allow them in the back door uh, to be able to access the ERP. The NES itself was a separate system from the ERP. And then we separated that instance of MES from the rest of the NES systems, which are really uh, by geography, they're pretty local generally. So that was a specific copy of uh, the system we had in Switzerland to be able to be used by the Russian team, uh, the partner. Um, but but you know, we did have to populate it with all the bombs, all the routings, all of the materials, uh, you know, and so forth, uh, and train them uh, on how to use the system. But uh, it was it was a it was a very interesting uh, exercise and, and it's been pretty successful. Um, uh, I think the first part of your question though uh, was more around the supplier portal itself. Yeah. And that, I think in the early days, people tried to use a package that was integrated with the ERP from okay. the ERP supplier. Yeah. And we found that it just didn't have the necessary functionality. It was too limited. And we ended up going with a third party solution, um, a, a specialist in this type of uh, uh, software. And we ended up integrating that uh, with our ERP. So it is a separate 
completely separate system from a separate vendor. Okay, very interesting. So and I didn't like, put that on my list at the beginning. So yeah, I, I right. Yeah. <laughs> so you had a lot more systems there. Okay, so I do have yeah. one more question related to MES. So the MES system was it connected with the production data? Was it just a sandbox for them? Uh, you know, just to play around and then you know to understand how your production processes were. No, no, it was a production system. We, we, they were, they were, the work instructions, the bombs, they were all real production pieces of data. And the team in Moscow was executing per the work instructions. And I mean, the, the great thing was our people had visibility to them completing all of the steps in the routings and back flushing the materials and you know do their documentation uh so while there was a certain degree of risk people said because you know well as much as you say it's a completely separate instance you know be careful particularly be careful with our russian friends right they're very good at finding doors so uh, even though you say it's completely separate there is at some point a network connection right to the rest of your systems so you know, you, you really want to make sure that it is secure. But um, we had visibility to everything they were doing. And so if if anything was being done improperly, we could uh, basically shut that down and, 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 you know, sit them down and talk it through. So, okay, amazing. I, I didn't mean to digress so much into MES. Uh, it, it's kind of sort of related to procurement, but, but it's also different. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, that's a very interesting component because, you know, so far, the only thing I was aware of, uh, you know, was going to be either from the design collaboration perspective or in the ERP. But now MES could, uh, you know, open another problem of the collaboration and sort of reconciling these vendors uh, everywhere. Thank you so much for that, Tom. Uh, I'm actually going to move to you, Scott. So from your experience, when you work, uh, you know, in these vendor collaboration, now, if you're collaborating in many different systems, and if you, let's say, have your MDM system, then probably the problem is not going to be as big. Uh, but still, even if you have MDM system, I would guess that, uh, you know, it's not going to be as easy to just have vendor data in so many different systems when you are actually doing the collaboration, because you are going to get so many different exceptions, so many boundary cases that you have to handle to make sure that these systems are able to talk to each other. So what have you seen in your experience, Scott? I've seen the whole gamut on supplier portals, uh, first of all, and I, actually this is one area where I work, I work heavily in this. And generally I ask clients, you know, do you have a supplier portal? And a lot of times they'll say yes. And I look at the functionality and it's basically, you know, here's how to submit your invoice. Here's how to submit a form to talk to procurement. And that's about it. Um, so the, the best in class that I've seen are these integrated, they're web-based portal. That's generally a bolt-on that's, that's integrated well. But you pick up your purchase order from the system. You submit your invoice on the system. There's no other way to get status of your information on your payment um, or your PO or your invoice other than going into the system. Um, I've even seen um, dispute management is, is something that for certain types of retailers who have a lot of disputes with vendors, there's a, a dispute management type of a functionality. I've seen... Um, uh, discount systems uh, right, right along that you submit your invoice and it asks you, hey, would you like to get paid a little bit earlier? We can give you a discount. That's a cash generation machine right there. Um, I, I've had very similar experience to what Tom described in terms of giving your vendors access to your ERP because the ERP is not designed to give one vendor only access to their stuff. You give them access to their stuff and they've got a lot of other 
access as well. So that's that's generally a rough way to go uh, because, you know, they, there can be some malicious activity. Um, but going into that portal, you know, I've seen a lot of functionality be built there. And with cyber crime, and I've seen my share of cyber crime or attempted cyber crime, these portals, they can be dual authenticated. Um, you know, you the only way to update your vendor record, your bank account is to go through this portal and you can be dual authenticated there. So you're no longer taking calls about, hey, can you change my bank account? Because there's a lot of there's a there's a ton of cyber crime out there. And I've seen, uh, you know, significantly more. Uh, functionality built onto that at the end. Not getting so much into the inventory um, because that's so hard to do because that's really more kind of PO based and that's really, really hard to do with the portal. It could be done, but it would be a lot more um, custom that would have to be built. And I'd have to understand somebody's requirements to uh, to help them build that. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Scott, for that. So, Mike, I'm actually going to move to you. So in your experience, what kind of vendor collaboration have you seen uh, from the system perspective? Was this collaboration done right inside the ERP system? Did they have bolt-on solution on top of ERP? How many different types of collaboration have you seen from the uh, design to your to your real uh, the production one and then MES? <laughs> so, so I'd say my experiences tend to be at both ends of the spectrum where uh work with one business where virtually all of their orders came in EDI and even the collaboration took place via EDI. So an EDI order would come in if there was basically a manufacturing response or saying, hey, I know you asked for 100, but we can only give you 87. Right? Yeah. That took place there. So I would say um, very high level of integration and very effectively used because that EDI information it was was fed into the system and then you know from there it flowed through uh, you know demand planning and the supply planning so it was very heavily leveraged and and heavily utilized then you know the other end of the spectrum is I think along the lines of some of the examples that Scott shared where right? The portal, like super duper air quotes, the portal is, you know, upload your, uh, you know, upload your PO here or, you know, a contact us. So if there's any kind of issue, you know, it was a, it was, it was a very uh, simplistic web form. So my experiences and I tend to operate a lot in the middle market. So businesses in the you know, 30 million to 300 million in revenue, um, it tends to be binary where they've got a high degree of systems implementation and utilization and they're they run a pretty from a systems perspective run a pretty tight ship all the way down to you know the 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 customer collaboration that occurs via telephone and fax so it's um it, it really is interesting and you know i think the businesses that have been most effective at it are the ones who who they they bring, you know, a person in or bring a firm in who really understands what the architecture needs to be, what the solution needs to be for that problem. You know, so saying, okay, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Hey, we've got these big customers who want to do EDI. Okay, we'll 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 come up with an architecture and a solution that fits that problem. You know, the challenges where, you know, businesses can kind of get out over their skis when you know, they've got, uh, you know, a super system that is, you know, far exceeds the actual needs or, 
capability for a business to actually utilize it. So, um, yeah, it tends to be binary. Okay, very interesting. So I'm actually going to build on top of that. So when you mentioned the EDI, in my experience, EDI uh, transactions are meant for slightly more commercial transactions. When we talk about vendor collaboration, obviously you can collaborate on the commercial transaction. They can submit the PO. You know, you could do that kind of collaboration as well. You know, but for the most part, when you look at the vendor collaboration, typically that's going to be collaboration in your design. So I don't know if you you can literally exchange your bombs uh, as part of your EDI. As far as I know, I am not familiar with that. And the second thing is that, you know, yes, the EDI is relevant, but the portals are used for the vendors that are not going to have the EDI infrastructure at their end. So if you are working with, let's say, the big box retailers uh, or really big brands, they are going to have the EDI capabilities. But if you are working with, let's say, mom and pop, uh, you know, machine shop, they are not going to have EDI capabilities. And that's where your supplier uh, you know, portal is going to be relevant. So do you share similar experience? Have you seen something similar? Or <laughs> is this exchange happening only over the phone and email? No, no, no. And it actually, you know what? I think it's, I think it's interesting because the thought that that triggers, Sam, is whether we're talking vendor collaboration or customer collaboration, it, it's almost driven by who's the bigger fish, right? So if you have if if you have a vendor who's extremely sophisticated, and you are let's say on the the smaller end of the spectrum, right? So that vendor may have some giant customers, and you be you may be on the smaller end of that scale. The vendor, it's been my experience that the vendor is going to determine in what ways they really want to interact. So sometimes the, 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 the collaboration, the vendor collaboration, you know, if the vendor is the 800 pound gorilla in the market and they're the only place that you can get product from, right? You have to, in some regards, let them lead the dance, right? If they say, Hey, we're operating at a, uh, you know, at a college physics level and you guys are, you know, drawing two plus two on the chalkboard, you guys got to figure out how to up your game to bring the collaboration up to um, the expectations and the needs of that vendor, or you may not be able to get the product you need from them. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Mike, for that. So the only thing uh, we can take right now is going to be closing advice from everybody. So Tom, I'm actually going to start with you for your closing advice for today. Well, uh, I would say uh, simplicity and security are the two things to strive for. And I think it, it relates to the complexity landscape we've talked about. And I think it relates to some of the risks we have with uh, different forms of collaboration and degrees of access. So I'd, I'd say simplicity and security are key words to keep in mind. Yeah, I could not agree more. The simpler the architecture, the easier the life is going to be, at least from the architecture perspective. Um, you know, uh, a lot of users are going to be super emotional with the newer technologies and the newer tools. But when you are going to be tying these things together, uh, it could be slightly more difficult. Thank you so much, Tom, for that advice. Uh, Scott, I'm actually going to move to you for your closing advice. I think, um, you know, focusing on documenting your process and if you are going to implement a technology, you know, think about what your requirements are first and get those documented. Uh, there's so many ways to go. And, um, you know, you really don't just go buy a tool and think it's going to solve all your problems. Document your requirements and think about what you're doing. 
and there's a lot of ways to uh, solve a problem, you know, so uh, step back and go slow. Amazing. Love it. I think you, you know, I could not agree more that you should be solving on the paper first before that is implemented in the system. Uh, and if you cannot solve on the paper, don't try to implement because if you implement, then you have to demolish and implement it again. That's going to be far more expensive process. Thank you so much for that. Mike, I'm actually going to move to you uh, for your closing advice for today. My closing advice, I think, is a bridge between Tom and Scott in that, you know, understand what the problem is that you're trying to solve. Right. And then design the most uh, simple, maybe elegant solution uh, to solve that problem. And as you're solving the problem, understand what the requirements are, what the what the output is of the process and document, document, document. Okay, amazing. Love it. Thank you so much, Mike, for that. So that's it for today, guys. On that note, I really want to thank you, everybody, for your time. And inside today. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, head over to varian.com. It's V-A-R-I-A-N.com. If you want to learn more about Scott Engelking, head over to gvintegration.com. It's G-V-I-N-T-E. G-R-A-T-I-O-N dot com. If you want to learn more about Michael Ryan, head over to mryangroup.com. It's M-R-Y-A-N-G-R-O-U-P dot com. If you want to learn more about Melissa Drew, follow her on LinkedIn. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you, in your business, you might want to check other related episodes including the interview with Edmund Zagrin, who describes why the cost of spend is an important metric for some of the strategic sourcing categories. Also, the interview with Angela Thurman, who discusses the process for supplier capacity and quality planning. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.